Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Natra Wimshay. Chapter 27, Part 3. Jack was on a roll. Me? I'd have been getting me end away every town we played. Every bloody town, mate. Anyway, takes all kinds, done it? Yes, I replied in a somewhat baffled tone. It takes all kinds. As the adage goes... Jumping Jack would eat no fat and Vic would eat no lean, but together both they ate their fill and licked the platter clean. Jack shook his head as if to say, where do you dig these things up? Then, after a pause, suppose you heard about me and Synth getting cashed and brooted. Cashed and brooted? Married and divorced, me old mate. Oh right, I'm not quite as au fait with the slang as I was when I lived here. Heard you got married, Jack, but not divorced. Sorry. Nothing to be sorry about, mate, apart from getting married to that steaming great cow in the first place. Jesus, mate, that was a bloody nightmare. She was like something from a Greek tragedy. You know, one of those things with snakes coming out of its head. Medusa? Jack looked confused, so I elaborated. Uh, a gorgon. Oh yeah, she was a right gorgonzola. She must have been 17 stone at least. Sight of her, let alone the sound of her screaming, would give you a limp Hampton for eternity and the day after. That as well as turning you to stone, eh? An impressive feat. An impressive weight. Was she tall? I asked in a vain attempt to respond in what would seem a friendly manner. Nah, not much taller than me, mate, so you can imagine the size of a cow. I'm trying not to imagine, Jack, I replied in a haze of confusion, feeling as if I was hallucinating. But seriously, I'm sorry, it sounds as if you had a rough time of it. Rough? Jack almost screeched. I should cocoa. Rough ain't the half of it. Rough? Too bloody right, mate, it was rough. Then he whispered, rough as sliding down a bleeding scaffolding plank with no sodding underwear. So why was it exactly that you got back with her after calling it off? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But listen, when Ron and Steve died, well, you know how it was. I mean... Jack shook his head, indicating that getting back with Cynthia was just too painful to explain. Anyway, I'm more or less out of me parents' life now. Don't see him now. In fact, I keep away from them completely and that's how they want it too. But back then it was like bloody prison. They had me by the short and curlies. So I, I just gave in, you know. I know I shouldn't have given in, but well, it's what happened. No use crying over spilt milk, can it? I nodded sympathetically. So anyhow, once we were married, it got even worse, if you can believe that. We had to play bloody bridge with her pox-ridden parents and mine. We had to talk about the weather, politics and a sodding stock market. I had to hear about how wonderful the tossbag Tory party was all the time. Wankers. I mean, truth, I like money as much as the next fella, but talking about investment shares for ours. I mean, 
Do what you do to get it, then spend it and forget it. Good policy, I added, just for the sake of saying something supportive. Yeah, exactly, and I was expected to have comments on bloody banking when, far as I'm concerned, it's just a sodding job. It pays the money that gets the decent car. End of bloody story. It was bad enough working there all day long without having to talk about it all evening. There was no escape from the bank. Can you imagine it? I mean, can you fuck it? imagine it? Playing cards with your boss and being expected to discuss the fucking financial times? I shook my head in dismay. The full horror was not lost on me. Blimey, Jack, that sounds like something out of the Stepford Wives. Jack shook his head to indicate incomprehension. Oh, right, the Stepford Wives. It's a story about small-town America, a place called Stepford where they turn all their wives into robots who would probably be quite like Cynthia, apart from being irredeemably pleasant and submissive. Yeah, well, pleasant and submissive would have made it more bearable, but she was as boring as a bloody privet edge. She was always leaning on me to be more enthusiastic about me career so we'd be able to buy more gnomes than the bloody neighbour. Then Synth, her parents and mine, all rounded on me to get me hair cut because of what they were thinking about it at the bank. So I gave in on that one too, bloody Ryazusha job. So I was the bloody Stetson husband. The barnet's longer now, but it'll be twice the length next year, he added, preening himself. It was a lot bloody shorter when I was still at the bank. Looked like a blinking thrupney. I thought Jack's hair was a distinct improvement on the mullet he used to have, but made no comment. I like those mutton-chop sideburns. They suit you really well. Yeah, well, they were another cause of her screaming at me. Synth couldn't stand to see hair on a bloke's face. Insane. I was her bloody pet project. She was going to turn me into Mr Middle Management or something. That's not the worst of it. Sex was non-existent. Jesus, the very idea of a blowjob would give her streaming, screaming hysterics. She'd scream at me for an hour and throw things at me, telling me I was a criminal pervert and that it was all your fault. How do you mean, Jack? I laughed. You mean I'd gone down on you once too often and got you addicted? That made Jack splutter with laughter. That had been my intention, of course because Jack looked as if he was reliving some kind of nightmare. I was glad that I could approximate a response that was linguistically congruent with Jack's view of reality. Nah, mate, I made the mistake of telling her about you and that nympho Swiss au pair when you was 14. Of course, she said she'd have reported it to the police, so anything she thought was disgusting had to be something heard from you. She blamed you for everything, about me that she didn't like. Good to be famous for something, Jack, I sighed. Nak Pachurgyam, the criminal pervert. That image of me was a long way from how I saw myself, but I was glad it amused Jack. A moment passed in which I wondered why Jack had described Annalee as a nymphomaniac. It had been nothing I'd said. 
I was never given to prurient playground revelations. I decided it wasn't worth inquiring. You were enthusiastic, I suppose, about returning the favour. King of the muff divers, me, innit? Yeah, no appreciation for a man's skill. You see, to her, it was all disgusting. Jack adopted a hoity-toity, high-pitched voice. Only heroin addicts and criminals do that kind of thing. Really, that is alarmingly Victorian, Jack. But maybe I've just lost all connection with the average Moors, but whatever, that does sound somewhat inhibited for 1975. Yeah, really, tell me about it. But that's not all. She got as fat as the proverbial pig. Jesus. Kyber the size of the bloody northwest frontier. Lallies like lar barrels. The willets were nothing to write home about to start with, but they just disappeared in her general dewlaps and bulbous rolls of hideous flab. Bloody disgusting. I thought she was pregnant at first. Of course, now I realise that was hardly likely with a lights-out shag once a fortnight, if I was lucky. And after being the good semi-detached suburban Mr Jones for weeks on end, Jack adopted the hoity-toity high-pitched voice again. Oh yes, darling, let's buy another gnome. It would be so charming with the other 80 gnomes on the veranda and the 300 in the lodgier. They look so gorgeous with their fuchsia smocks and violet hats. We could have a few more on the trellis, couldn't we? I winced at the description. I had no massive sympathy for Cynthia, but felt ill at ease listening to the personal details of her physique. How could I tell Jack I found his description of Cynthia crude and demeaning? I couldn't be as disapproving as I felt whilst still being friendly. He would not understand. So I kept my disapproval to myself. Thoughts of that nature apart, was I mistaken or had Jack developed a decidedly full-on East End London accent? Ron had adopted that, to the annoyance of his parents, but I could not recall Ron dropping as many cockneyisms as Jack was trotting out. From my memory of Jack Hackman in Savage Cabbage, I recalled that he spoke a fairly average English, with possibly a slight West Country lilt. But Jumping Jack Flashman was now a born-again East Ender. There was also a smattering of Polari in his speech, which he may have mistaken for Cockney, or perhaps it had just entered the general pattern of slang and was now indistinguishable. It had been popularised by the BBC radio comedy Round the Horn back in the 1960s, and maybe it had just become part of the general patter. So, I ask, to change the subject. What made you leave in the end? The possibility of getting her pregnant scared me, he whispered. Absolutely shitless. I'd have been stuck with her after that and suicide would have been the only way out. That was the effing end of it as far as I was concerned. Never had another Aylesbury. Luckily, she didn't seem to notice. Long as she could stuff chocolates down her neck, she was happy. Etten by the cart, though, didn't she? I decided that I'd have to leave, fast as possible. So I found another place to live, and as soon as I did, I packed me bags. Took the Friday afternoon off work, didn't I? He grinned. 
you know, complained about severe gut ache and kept whizzing off to the carsy. Worked a charm, mate. I wasn't going back anyhow because I got a job with a builder, right, starting Monday. Electrician's mate, eh? Best thing I ever did, as it turns out, because I got me qualifications, didn't I? Now I'm a self-employed electrician. J.J. Flashman, Total Home Electrics. Nice little Bunsen too, Jack beamed. I returned his grin, raised my eyebrows, eyebrows and gave a nod of my head to indicate approval of his improved circumstances. Vada the Callards, Jack grinned, indicating his puce leather trousers. These don't come cheap, I can tell you. I'll wager they don't, as fine a set of strides as I ever did see, Jack. Jack had now set me off into cant. I wasn't usually in the habit of calling trousers strides, but Jack's high density of slang was becoming infectious. Puce isn't a common colour these days. They suit you very well. What you mean, puce? Jack retorted indignantly. Puce, dark, dusky purple, Jack. Isn't that how you'd describe them? Jack grinned sheepishly. Oh, right, didn't know that's what puce meant. Then Jack laughed. It's like talking to the longer bloody Oxford Dictionary talking to you. Sorry, Jack. You're not the only one who's ever complained about that, I replied to put Jack at his ease. Glad your business is successful. Yeah, mate, I'll tell you about that later. Anyhow, I'd worked it all out, so it gave me the weekend to settle into the new lay. No room to swing a cat, of course, but I was free as a bird. Got a much better place now. Anyhow, back to the story of leaving Synth. Everything was going to plan, but Synth come home early, didn't she? Still don't know how that happened. I was packing the car like and all of a sudden she's... There she was. Found me packing me boxes onto the back seat. Blimey, Jack, I gasped. That must have been, well, dire. Yeah, mate, as in diarrhoea, Jack whispered with a chuckle. Told her I was leaving, didn't I? Said, no hard feeling, Synth, but it ain't going to work with us. What happened then? I inquired. Went apeshit, didn't she? Screamed like a burning bloody banshee. Tried to break me boxes open and to th I had to threaten to whack her if she carried on. Wouldn't have done, obviously, but I had to make her believe it. So anyhow, I grabbed the steak tenderizer and made like to go for her with it. Somehow, I found myself laughing. It wasn't that I had no trace of sympathy for Cynthia. But the image of Jack wielding a meat tenderizer, somehow like Thor with his hammer Mjolnir, was comical. Jack laughed and looked highly gleeful. He was obviously happy that I found his tale amusing. Kept her distance then, didn't she? But he didn't stop her screaming. God, it was awful. The neighbours started looking out their nasty little mock Tudor windows as well. But that turned out to be just as well because it quietened her down. Glad you got out alive, Jack. How did you settle up with the flat? That must have been difficult. Nah, mate, piece of cake, piece of bloody cake. We only rented, see? It was in her name, anyhow, so I just did a runner. Out the fucking door, never to be seen again, he chuckled gleefully. I knew her parents would top up the Burton for her. Either that or take her home again. Lucky. Yeah, I suppose. 
only bit of luck in a bloody story. So anyhow, didn't give her me address, did I? Still doesn't know where I live, he cackled delightedly. Nor do her Nazi parents, or mine for that matter, bugger them all. You first, Jack, I grinned, glad again that I could respond in a way to which Jack could relate. He nearly choked on his coffee. That's the thing with you, innit? Jack laughed. You come over all Mr Oly man and then you say something like that just when a fellow's got a mouthful of coffee. As Jack laughed, I caught a glimpse of something. Nothing visual, merely the sense of the absurdity of myself as a tulku. Who was the incarnation of Aroyeshe? How much of Aroyeshe existed in this wild assortment of conditioned perceptions? My life looked nothing like those of the lamas of whom I'd read. They were all absolutely consistent. They practised, they gained realisation, they taught, they performed wonders. I merely bumbled along, lurching from one fiasco to another. And here I was in the Nostral Café, engaged in a conversation about the ludicrous breakup of a marriage that should never have taken place. I thought of Chugyam Trumpa Rinpoche and realised that I'd crashed into yet another joke shop. That being said, I had not been unkind to Jack. He obviously still had emotional pain concerning his life. I'd tried to enter his world as much as I could to be supportive to him. I'd done my best, as far as my best would stretch. I remembered the words of Dujam Rinpoche. With each life circumstance, whatever is enacted, stare directly into the enactment with all the senses.